folks, if you had the opportunity to see Hamilton, uh, you, you may well have seen today's guest perform the quite unforgettable role of King George, which <laughs> just saying it <laughs> brings a smile and a laugh. It's, it's a hell of a role. He also originated the role of Elder McKinley in the musical Book of Mormon, which opened in 2011. And about him and that role, Ben Brantley had something to say himself. The, the, the role is destined to make a star of lead singer and dancer Rory O'Malley. Now, that, that's pretty good, and I'd say that guy has a pretty good eye. He earned a Drama Desk Award and a Tony Award for that role. So a Nomination. Yes, a nomination. A, a, a nomination. I, I didn't nomination. win, although my mom probably leaves out that detail every time she talks about it. <laughs> Listen, dude, it sounds pretty good to me, and I, uh, you deserve a lot of... Uh, credit for that and it was a hell of a hell of a production uh he currently is the host of a wonderful podcast called geffen playhouse unscripted which we're going to talk about that as well uh so with that i'm happy and honored to introduce to you my friend and colleague and peer rory o'malley welcome thank you so much for having me on that was quite the introduction i was like (laughs) you know after this year it's like oh yeah i I am an actor. I have uh-huh. acted. You know, you forget after this year. Yep, yep. But you've been on the podcast. I know uh, you have your own podcast. Right. Okay, so you're hosting a podcast that I just mentioned, Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Right. Uh, really nice, interesting interview style uh, podcast. But the nice thing is, I know you were doing your own um, Correct. original podcast that yes. you called Living the Dream. Right. And I know the throes of, producing your own podcast. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and the nice thing was that transition, which I believe was in the beginning of 2019, mm-hmm. you, you, a lot of the subject matter is the same mm-hmm. darn format. Mm-hmm. And you have the the opportunity to continue those interviews and your style of those interviews, talk about a lot of the same stuff you were talking about on your own podcast, but you have right. the, plat- the platform and the you know, the, um, the, 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 the company of the Geffen Playhouse behind you, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yes. No, I am so, so lucky. What it, It's a crazy thing. And, you know, I love podcasting and I love having conversations with other artists, especially actors. I think it's such an important part of, uh, of being an artist is, as talking to other artists about their experience. Uh, you know, it's the only way I've been able to keep at this because, you know, you list all the good times when you li- when you introduce me. You don't list all the bad times. You don't list like how you know my my waiting jobs, my getting fired from temp jobs, my uh, you know callbacks that I worked so hard on and didn't get. So I wanted to have conversations with performers that were uh, long form and that were about the the ups and downs of the business, not just the surface level curated Instagram, social media, especially right. for young people. Because right. they look at what we do and they see you on the stage in Hamilton and they think, oh boy, I want to be an actor too. That looks like fun. And my heart just leaps like, oh no, don't think this is all that being an actor is, is being on the stage in Hamilton. Yeah. And so I was lucky enough to, you know, sit down with a lot of people who I respect, especially in the the Broadway world and start to have conversations with them. And I didn't know what I was doing with podcasting. I had uh, a, just my phone, you know, I, I just started recording with my phone and having those intimate conversations in dressing rooms and people's homes. And uh, I got better and better at it. And then uh, my husband and I, uh, we moved to Los Angeles and I was doing Hamilton out here in, in, in Los Angeles. And, 
had a child. We adopted a, a baby boy who's two and a half now. And uh, that is a challenge. <laughs> and, <laughs> you and, noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I tried for a while to continue producing the podcast on my own. But, you know, when you tell your your spouse, like, oh, I got to go talk to an actor for an hour and then, you know, edit and do all these other things. It, it became my time, you know, just became so valuable. Right. And so what was wonderful is that I went to do the podcast for the Geffen Playhouse and uh, Gil Cates Jr. was the nicest, greatest man in the whole world. The, the, um, uh, the, our, our director over there, mm-hmm. he, he had me as a guest and afterwards I said, Hey, if you ever need a guest host, I'm, you know, available. And they had producers who were, who were putting the whole thing together. So we, I started collaborating and you're right. You're absolutely right. That's, I realized that they have all these wonderful, wonderful performers and artists coming through their doors. And I could have the same kind of conversations that I was having with people uh, on my own and this and that way I just, I have help. And, you know, we've taken some time off during the pandemic because the theater has been closed, but I've been able to continue to um, have those conversations. And, and, and what's been nice is that I'm doing more podcasts like yours and reaching out to other podcasters. And now that theater is figuring out a way to get back up on its feet, I'm, I'm excited to jump back in and, and the Geffen is, is also ready to to have live performances. And it seems like a great home. And I've, I, I, I don't know Gil Cates Jr., but I know the, I've, I've known of that family for a while. Cause I've been in, in and out of the production business. Um, yeah. they seem like yeah. very nice people. It seems like a really nice home base for you. It's amazing. You know, I, I would say I only feel at home when I know there's a theater close by that I can walk into and everybody knows my name. It's like, cheers, you know, like I need that pub. I'm an Irishman. You know, I, that's, that's my pub is walking into a theater, into a lobby and, and people know, like, are like, you belong here, Rory, this is your, your home. And, you know, when I was growing up, that was Beck center in Cleveland, Ohio. And when I was in uh, New York, that was the Eugene O'Neill theater where book of Mormon was, or the Richard Rogers uh, where Hamilton is. And here I was so lucky when I first moved to Los Angeles to work for Gary Marshall. And I uh, worked across the street at the Irish pub, Timmy Nolan's um, and, and did plays for him at night, uh, which was, was the Falcon theater. Now the Gary Marshall theater, since he passed away and that having that home was so important to me and to now live uh, on the West side of Los Angeles uh, and have the Geffen playoffs be so close by and, to get to participate and be, you know, it, it's, it's a clear trend. I need a theater yeah. <laughs> to survive. Well, you know, it occurred to me, Rory, that, you know, look, we, we went and we, we made the leap and went into this crazy business, right? It's, right. it's about communication and storytelling. I mean, mm-hmm. it is when, when you've been in it a couple decades, you start to realize that you say, wait a minute, you gotta, you gotta communicate. You have to tell stories and you have to be out there doing something. And I got to tell you, you know, year, year and a half, two years ago, I, I, I barely knew what a podcast was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I started listening to them and there's some are good and some are not. Right. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting um, forum there. Mm-hmm. And it's a real opportunity to do just what you're talking about, to interact with, um, 
you get to do it with people in your industry. And I like the idea of that so much that I started this. This is a second podcast. This is sort of a companion podcast to my initial podcast, which is Island, which is a very strict, um, you know, structured uh, history of New York going back to Henry Hudson. But yeah, I love it. And by the way, I love doing this is what I discovered. I, I had no idea how much I would like doing this, but there is something about interacting and communicating. And I love being able to talk to people in the business, you know, because yeah. I, 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 it's funny. <laughs> I don't talk to actors that much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, yeah. I, you know, when you're on set, there's a limited amount of time you even get to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm always running home. I got kids like you do, yeah. you know, and I, I got a wife and I, mm-hmm. I don't hang around anymore. You know, yeah. early, you know, years ago, decades ago, I might've hung around. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get it. And it's, you know, like you used to, it's funny, you know, if you're in a play or you're, you know, working on, on a set, people think after you're done, you're all headed to the bar to celebrate (laughs) the day's work, you know, and no, you really had a long day. You're just going home and trying to get ready to wake up at 6am again to get back to the set or or to the theater. Um, So it, it is amazing to pause and to sit down for a long conversation with another human being. Like, like we haven't had long, we haven't spoken in this way before, but we already know each other. We already know what our experiences are and to get to remind ourselves that we're not alone in this journey being actors in this business. You know, there's an artistic side to it. There's a mental health side to it. There's, uh, you know, a, a benefit, I should say, you know, it's just, it's fantastic. I always joke that like, you know, um, I started a podcast with actors because it's cheaper than therapy. You know, it's it's great to be able to sit down and say, like, this is what I'm going through. Are you going through this, too? And, you know, my my podcasting definitely uh, focuses on that because I want I want people who I worked in a restaurant with or worked in a temp job with who were actors to hear my story. Uh, and to have those people who, I, when I was working in a restaurant, I didn't know that other actors who were working on Broadway or in TV and film had, you know, done what I had done mm-hmm. and that that is part of the dream. That is part of the plan, uh, feeding yourself until you get a break and you might have to go back to that place after your break. You know, I was working on Broadway and then went back to my temp job, um, after that and, uh, that's normal. You know, that's part of what we do. And I guess for me, I just really wanted to relay that message to all the artists out there who were struggling um, in feeling alone in that. Yep. And I think that's, look, it's an important part of society today. People need to talk to each other a little bit more. Yeah. And nice to be able to do that. It's awesome. Tell me about Gary Marshall. That guy sounds like something else, man. I wish I had worked for him. Oh man. He was the best. He was the absolute best. I believe I, I knew who he was because of, you know, seeing him on TV and film. And I guess I knew that he had something to do with happy days and all those TV shows, but I had something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't, I mean, you know, I, I knew all those shows, but I knew him as the actor, you know, and I knew he was Penny Marshall's brother and, 
I moved out to Los Angeles and I didn't know, I had a cousin out here, but I didn't know too many people. And I auditioned for a play at his theater called Snoopy. I was playing Charlie Brown. I got this part. And at the callbacks, I walk in and there's Gary Marshall. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, how I you know, doing, kid? What's up, Gary? How you doing? You know, and he uh, is just what's he like? He, just he was so full of life, so giving, so wonderful. He surrounded himself with amazing, wonderful people. So you know, you had a lot of people who showed up to work, not always for a lot of money, but because they got to work with Gary. And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, the end of his career, he was able to do these huge movies like Valentine's day and new year's Eve, because all of these huge stars signed on. They didn't sign on because they were going to make a ton of money. They signed on because they were going to get to work with Gary. And they knew that that was going to be a party. They knew that it was going to be joy. And that's how I would describe working with Gary, just joyful at all times. And Gary was the guy that, you know, when my mom from, you know, single mom from Cleveland, Ohio, her, her son moves to Los Angeles and New York. Like she, it's just outside of her realm of thinking, like, how are you going to survive? How are you going to do this? So when I got one of my first jobs with Gary at doing that, and then eventually did Happy Days, the musical for him, I played Richie Cunningham. Mm. I was his singing Ron, Ron Howard. <laughs> um, you know, she would come to visit and Gary would treat her like gold. He knew. And, and in fact, there's here's a funny story for you. There was a, a song that I had with one of my very, very good friends, uh, still to this day, Anna White. She played Lori Beth, my girlfriend in Happy Days the Musical. And we had this duet. And Gary, one day when we were in previews, you know, Paul Williams was writing the music and, you know, things change in, in, in previews. He takes me and Anna aside and he said, all right, you guys are amazing. You're so good in that number. Have both of your moms come to see it? And we said, yeah, Gary, our mom saw it. They go, oh, good, because we're cutting the number. It's getting out of the shop. <laughs> you know, he was like, but he wanted to make sure our mom saw it, you know, mm-hmm. that that. And uh, he's beautiful. He, you know, he was such like a TV and film guy who had this theater and he loved Broadway and theater stuff. He was directing Happy Days at that time. And he would rehearse with us and we'd get up on the stage and he'd block something and he'd go and action. <laughs> I was like, Gary, there are no cameras here. You don't have to say action. He was very, you know, from that world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he always had a story about Robin Williams or, or Penny Marshall, his sister, or the man was love. And I don't know. I, I I don't know if I would have made it through my early twenties if I hadn't uh, been had him as a as a mentor and uh, had him be my my place to call home. His so his awesome. The fact that you had the opportunity to work with a legend like that um, it, it's 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 worth. <laughs> it makes a lot of the you know struggle in this business worth it yeah. when you get to someone like that and you get to glean some of what they got. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. yeah. Oh, it, it, and you know, I'm just so glad that I realized that right away too. I wasn't taking it for granted. It was, I was in awe 
of him and the kind of person that he was. And to have that be somebody who you meet in, in a, a, you know, New York or LA, I don't care where you are. There's a lot of, a lot of people that you might admire, you meet them, you don't want to see them uh, for a second day, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it, it can be disappointing as they say, don't meet your, your idols, but your heroes. Uh, but Gary was not like that. Gary was creating a family and uh, he welcomed me and his, his, actual family welcomed me and uh, they really are, they're the best. So, you know, I could gush and go on and on, but um, he, he made some of the greatest entertainment in the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. And he, he entertained this country in a way that uh, was completely free of uh, any kind of pretense or um, he certainly was not, uh, uppity about <laughs> like, you know, whatever made people laugh was good enough for, for Gary. And I just, I love that. I love that he was just about entertaining the masses and he never worried about criticism. He never worried about what the critics were thinking. He just wanted to make them make people laugh. That is so beautiful. And the, the working with a guy who's been in the business five decades, maybe more six. Decades, yeah. Five probably, to six decades, yeah. And discovering what a beautiful guy he is and Mm -hmm. the way he runs his sets and the Mm -hmm. way he treats people is such a valuable lesson. And it's such a valuable gift to receive in this jungle of a business where Mm -hmm. you got, you get a lot of people can be not so nice and not so ethical and not so endearing. And I remember when I, when I, when I met and worked for Clint Eastwood, that's the exact same feeling I got. I said, Oh my God, this guy is like a, He's, he's like, he's like a gift from God. He's so incredibly, you know, um, sincere and, and, and professional and just nice to people. And, you know, you figure a legend like that, or Gary Marshall, if they wanted to be jerks, right. Oh, you could sort of like, well, they've been around a while. They put up with a lot of stuff, you know, but they're such nice old school people. You know, so nice. So nice. Really you know, are. I realize that, you know, I, I wonder about that, you know, cause you do, then you meet like the jerk or the person who is not nice and they haven't, <laughs> they don't even have a 10th. Did you of meet what, the jerk? Oh, I've met. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think I, I met him too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, like people who have, haven't even done a 10th of what Gary did acting like they're owed so much or, you know, treating people like dirt. I, I realize that I think a lot of people who act like that think that that's how you earn respect that, or that that's somehow how people uh, who accomplish things act when no people who have actually accomplished things, they have nothing to prove. They have nothing to uh, prove because they are, their career is speaking for them for itself. And you know, that was definitely Gary. Absolutely. And there's an element of wisdom to it that just, you know, when you're doing good things and you're doing it the right way, it yeah. all just works, you know, mm-hmm. and you, like you say, you don't need to prove anything. Right. Uh, oh, that's beautiful. I'm so happy you got to work for him. And those stories are just wonderful. Tell me about Hamilton. That must've been something too. Yeah, no, it was, it was wild. Well, I mean, you know, I, had worked in New York for years. I did the book of Mormon and I had done, you know, some off Broadway stuff. And I, I love New York city. You know, it's the greatest city in the world for sure. As, as Hamilton, the musical States. Um, but I had gotten married. 
I uh, told my husband, you know, that I had worked for Gary in Los Angeles and we had, we had been there for in New York for 10 years. But I said, if, if we want to have a kid, I think we should try LA. And I was work, I was working on this television show with Kelsey Grammer and Martin Lawrence. And, and so I convinced him to move to Los Angeles. And now he's from Indianapolis. We're both Midwest boys, Mm -hmm. but you know, he loves New York. He loves New York probably more than me. Okay. I have to be honest. Like he loves that city and I got him to leave it. I got him to leave his friends and, and, um, I said, we're going to, you're going to love Los Angeles. There's great people here. We'll just try it. We show up to Los Angeles and I got this call that uh, they were doing a new Broadway show about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates called Nerds. And I was going to, I was asked to play Bill Gates Mm. and it was the same season as Hamilton. Hamilton had just been opening on Broadway. And I was like, that's crazy. And it came out of nowhere. I go to, I said, all right honey, you stay here in Los Angeles. I'm going to go do this Broadway show. Who knows? It may only last a month. You know, like that's, that's how Broadway is. You don't know. You never know. Well, it lasted less than a month. It last, it didn't even get to the starting gate. We showed up and rehearsed for two weeks. And the producer walks in into uh, two weeks into, into rehearsals and says, everyone has to go home. An investor dropped out. We will not be opening up on Broadway. It was like devastating. People had left their restaurant jobs for their Broadway oh. debuts. And I, you know, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going back to LA. I fly back to LA. I was so upset. My, my husband, I remember he bought me Bruce Springsteen tickets and even that didn't cheer me up. I was just like, you know, like when something like that happens, I was about to be on Broadway. And I remember thinking I almost was on Broadway in the same season as Hamilton. I thought like just to have been on Broadway while that show was going on would have felt so wonderful. Right. Well, I'm home in Los Angeles for two days and my agent calls. She goes, Rory, how would you feel about coming back to New York and doing another Broadway show? And I said, Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I'm just heartbroken. And she said, well, what if it's to play the king in Hamilton? Well, and I said, um, <laughs> I'll be on the red eye. <laughs> I'll be right there. And she literally said, well, do you want, they are, they're asking if you want to do it. Do you want to talk to Gerald before? And I said, no, I'll text my husband when I get to New York. <laughs> um, Amazing. I was floored and here the casting director for the show that imploded was the casting director for Hamilton. She saw our last run through of the show in the rehearsal space. So she knew I was funny and she certainly knew I was free. So (laughs) Jonathan Groff left the show out of the blue to go do David Fincher's Mindhunter. So he left about four months early before the show had been nominated for any Tony awards or anything had happened. And so it really was out of the blue. It's not like everyone was you know, wondering who's going to replace Jonathan Groff. Mm. And within days, I was back in New York rehearsing for The King. And within two weeks of the day I got to New York, I was on stage and had taken over for Jonathan Groff. It was wow. a whirlwind experience. What a role, um, man. Tell, yeah. tell, tell me about playing King George. That that version of King George. It's um, it, It's incredible you know and it's something that like i hope i get to do for the rest of my life because i love it so so much i you know i i want to be in hamilton as long as they'll as they'll take me um it, it's amazing because a lot of times 
you know, you have to find a role uh, within yourself. And, you know, usually a role is pretty close to you. King George III is nothing like me. Nothing. I mean, I am (laughs) such a dork. I have no, there's nothing regal about me. And I truly feel like this is the first time I've ever played a character where I felt that the character changed me as a person. Mm-hmm. When you, <laughs> for better or for worse, I don't know, but when you eight times a week walk out onto a stage wearing a crown and the audience applauds and they don't, you know, there might be some people who know it's me, the actor, but they're not applauding for me. They're applauding for the king. That entrance is so fantastic. And when you walk out to that, you start to hold yourself like a king. And I, you know, I'm sure my husband would, you know, say that my head was getting too big for that crown, but it really did make, it forced me to own space, to walk into rooms and hold my head high and not be shy because it just felt so good to walk onto a, a stage and and have that kind of a welcome all the time. And uh, I miss it. It's, it's been a, a, a very quiet year uh, in the pandemic without any, any entrance applause. But um, it's the greatest part I'll ever get to play. And I don't say that because, you know, I'm not going to get to do really cool things. But the king in Hamilton is a delicious treat of a role. It's also of uh, 20 minutes of work. So it's not, it's never exhausting. Mm-hmm. It is the, the biggest challenge of it is that you're backstage looking at all your friends on stage and just thinking, put me in coach, put me in, <laughs> you know, just once I want to jump into, yeah. you know, one of, you know, satisfied or something. Uh, it, but it's, it's a, it's a total, total dream. What dream another, what another, that also is a, such a gift to be able to receive that role at just the way you talk about it with, with, with such pleasure and great regard that, that it's such a gift to play that role. That's it's fabulous. That's, that's some of the payback, I think. Yeah. All the, you know, all the, all the, you know, waiting on tables and yeah. filing at a temp job. You bet. Yep. You bet. Well, like I, that's what I, I, I think like, thank God I had those experiences of, you know, getting tipped one penny um, after <laughs> being a terrible server, you know, or, or, or having to deal with, uh, you know, waking up and looking for work at temp jobs. I am so grateful for that, especially now because I'm having a better experience as a working actor because of it, 100%. And so, you know, like walking into that that experience, I was working all of a sudden with Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, uh, with Christopher Jackson and the entire original cast, David Diggs. And and by the way, my buddy, Leslie Odom Jr., who was just nominated for an Oscar this this past Sunday, we went to college together in Pittsburgh, went to Carnegie Mellon. And to get to see him up close and personal as Burr, who I'd, I saw him do it at the public. And that's how I knew what the show was. And I knew he was going to win a Tony. I knew that it was going to change his life in such a profound way. But to get to be a part of the, the final three months of his 
playing that role, it was uh, a privilege. It was a privilege. Like every moment. With the guy you trained with at Carnegie Mm -hmm. Mellon, one of your buddies. Yes. Yeah. That must have been something. Yeah. It was real full circle. Great reward. And he was was great. He was great in that role. And now you have another friend from Carnegie Mellon, uh, Mm -hmm. Josh Gad. That's right. We were in Book of Mormon with. Yeah. Yeah. No, Josh Gad, uh, myself, and Leslie Odom Jr., we were all in college together at the same time, same class. And, you know, it's like a dozen people in every class. So we we were together for four years. And uh, Josh and I did the Book of Mormon together. We also did another Broadway show before that called Spelling Bee. Uh, at the same time, my, my first time going on in, in Broadway, my Broadway debut was when I was understudying Josh and he missed a show and I went on for Josh. So we were also uh, roommates in college. So I can't get away from Josh Gad or Leslie, um, but they're pretty, pretty fantastic people to be uh, joined at the hip with. <laughs> That's really great, man. What a, what a great story. Um Tell us um, a little bit about your your experiences living in New York. What what do you what do you like and remember about New York and working in New York? Well, I, you know, New York, as I said, is the greatest city in the world. But there's something about the city that makes me feel alive in a way that no other place has ever. Yeah. What do you think that is? I think it's because so, you know, I can still feel the city waking up, getting your coffee, getting ready to go, getting on the subway and saying, bring it on, you know, not not like, like whatever's coming my way today, I'm ready for it or I'll, or I'll find a way to be ready for it. It's, it's an accomplishment to, get your laundry done in New York, you know, like it's everything is, you know, a a struggle, but also everything feels satisfying. And you're, you are in the center of the universe. And you're also in the center of not just the acting world, you're in the center of every, every business's world. I talk about it in in this current episode of Island, which is episode six. We go seven seasons per episode. So we're almost done with this first season. And I mentioned to uh, a minister at the at the church, uh, the the Marble Collegiate Church, which is actually the church that Dominie Michaelius formed in 1628, which is amazing. Wow. And I said to her, I said, it's almost as if there's an energy in New York that affects people once they get here and sort of inspires them to go to these new heights and these new levels. And it's almost like a vibration, like Mm -hmm. like what you're talking about. You go out Mm -hmm. and you almost can feel it. Right. Yeah. And I think it can be unsettling for some people. I mean, you know, like some people are like, I just want to like relax and chill and you know, (laughs) this is too much for me, but I needed to be around that. I was, you know, growing up, I needed to be around people who wanted to be on stage and to perform as much as I did. And New York is the only place that comes close to that vibration, that, that, that energy that I have. And, you know, even Los Angeles, which has a lot of performers and people, but you don't, you don't feel that, you know, it's so spaced out and it's, it's not the same drive in New York. 
you can sense that everybody's waking up and they worked really hard to get there <laughs> and they're not going to waste today. Yep. We all worked too hard. We all worked too damn hard to get here, to get to the apartment we're in, to get to the, this group of friends. We fought to find each other. We're going to take care of each other. You know, people always say that, you know, you know, New Yorkers are, are rude or whatever. I've never, ever thought that New Yorkers were rude. New Yorkers are rude in the sense that like, you, you know, you grow up with like six siblings and you're saying like, oh, my sibling was rude to me today. No, they're your brother. Yeah, they might have bumped you in, you know, in the hallway. But like, we're all in that that um, journey together uh, to getting through the day in New York. It it's a serious place, and it, it is. It, it, you know, it's game on in New York. Yeah. So yeah. being assertive is not being rude, but you you got to be pretty assertive and pretty straight. You know, pretty direct in New York right. to make it through a day. Well, I, (laughs) I always joke that I'm just so like Ohio bumpkin and just always with a smile on my face, with a backpack walking down New York city that people always thought I just got off the tour bus. Like even after 10 years of living there, people were like, Oh, look at this guy. (laughs) I never really got that kind of uh, New York uh, street cred of like, Oh, this guy's been here a while. He knows what he's doing. This is what New York is about. And I sincerely believe this New York since people since people started coming there from Europe in 1621, two, three, it's been about diversity and tolerance. And that's a fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's because of that, it's become a breeding ground for all sorts of ideas and ideals and people and pursuits and i know that you you've been active with gay rights among mm-hmm. other things and yeah. uh listen i mean this is this is this is a one of the best platforms for that kind of yeah uh, pursuit am i right absolutely yeah no it, it's it, it was one of the greatest um honors of my life to get to be a part of the fight for marriage equality in uh the gay rights movement in new york it was, I think around 2007, 2008, I had gone home to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and I was working on the Obama campaign, just volunteering, learning about how to community organize. And I was with my family, you know, um, a bunch of Irish Democrats on the West side of Cleveland. And, and it was a wonderful experience just in learning how to have uh, a dialogue with, with people and learning how to community organize. And I came back to New York and prop eight had passed in California overturning marriage equality, um, saying that gay people had to stop getting married in California. And it was devastating because everyone felt like we were making progress, but if it could be stopped in California, then we realized that this was, we couldn't take it for granted. We had, we were going to have to work really hard for it. And, you know, I say the, the best thing that happened to the gay rights movement was Barack Obama being elected president, just in the sense that that was something that an African-American being elected president felt like it was impossible and the possible happened. And also Prop 8 passing because Prop 8 was something that we thought wouldn't pass and it did. And we realized that we were going to have to work incredibly hard to, to bring marriage equality about. And, you know, I was dating my now husband at the time. I knew that I wanted to be married with a kid. You know, that's like what I, that's all I want. 
is to have a family. And uh, so it was really important to me. And so we started to organize the Broadway community around the fight for marriage equality, specifically in New York. We did letter writing campaigns. We had a rally where the mayor and the governor came and spoke. And we had Broadway folks like Audra McDonald and Cynthia Nixon came and a ton of folks showed up. And the Broadway community, when there's a cause, they are always so vocal. They are so giving of their time. And, you know, you talk about like Broadway cares, equity fights AIDS. They've raised tens of millions of dollars over the last dozen to to 20 years. I am so proud to be a part of that community because of the good that they've done, the, the, the social work that they've done for the actors fund. uh, It's incredible, you know, and it's, it's, it makes you feel like what we do is so selfish. So much of the time, we're always working for ourselves, you know, trying to sell ourselves. We're the product, but when you get to be a part of something like, uh, you know, uh, the, the gay rights movement with them or Broadway cares. It's just such an incredible thing. Something that really makes a difference. It sounds like that spirit really got inside you from Manhattan, didn't it? It did. Oh, it did. Yeah. (laughs) That's fabulous. Good for you, Rory. Good for you. So tell me uh, what's coming up. Well, you know, it's been amazing because I was back with the crown on my head I was on March 11th. We had our final dress rehearsal. And on March 12th of 2020, I, that's why I'm in Los Angeles. We were going to open up another production of right, Hamilton. Right. And of course, it, it got shut down on, on March 12th. So we never right, had right. our first show. So the set's sitting there at the Pantages, my costume sitting in the dressing room for over a year now. And so, you know, I hope that that is what's next for sure. Um, as this, the king says, what comes next? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that's what's next. But what I'm so grateful for is uh, voiceover work. You know, sitting in front of these microphones this year has been so important. And I've been able to do uh, a couple of projects that um, I can't announce yet because animation takes forever fair enough <laughs> come out. Yep, it's been like over a year cooking, though. Yeah, good. yeah yeah but also i've been i've been doing like uh episodes of bob's burgers and family guy and uh american dad and i did a bunch of episodes of a show i'm very proud of called central park on apple tv apple plus and that is produced by my good buddy Josh Gad, and also stars Leslie Odom Jr. Because awesome. you know we stick together, like gotta, I said. Yeah, you got to do it, man. It's like a musical. It's a musical animated show. So there's a bunch of songs in it, and there's a bunch of Broadway people in it. It's amazing. So definitely check that out. Uh, season two is coming out, I think, in June. But all of season one is up on Apple Plus. That's that's wonderful. Good for you, buddy. You're staying very busy. Well. Rory O'Malley, you yourself are a piece of New York's incredible history. You're a wonderful young man. And, and you know, I, I want to say this. Nobody, nobody handed you anything. You clearly mm-hmm. earned what you got. And uh, that's why I think you have such good values and you can recognize the good people along the way. And that's really what it's all about. And you're doing great work for Broadway Cares and the Actors Fund. And I, I commend you. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, if I could just tell one quick story, because I was, Absolutely. I meant, because because this is like a New York discussion. And I want to encourage any parents out there who have kids who love Broadway or theater or performing to make the investment of taking them to New York, especially now. 
it, it can be expensive. I know that it's not easy to get your kids and get young people to New York City and to see Broadway shows. But my mom, a single mom, she brought me there. We stayed at the Milford Plaza, a big M on top um, <laughs> on, on 45th Street. And yeah. it changed my life. I know how hard my mom worked to get me to New York for that trip. I begged her for years. <laughs> it was life-changing. And now I'm not saying that your kids are going to be on Broadway. I'm not saying that they have to uh, you know, go the same route that I did. But I can guarantee you that if, if you bring a kid to New York, their minds will expand and their possibilities will expand. And that vibration and that energy that we were just talking about is something that's going to stay with them no matter what, whether they come back to New York or not. New York's an amazing place of so many possibilities and, you know, I'll never for, forget it. It's not called the Milford Plaza again anymore, but you can, I know. You, you can I remember there. the commercials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Rory. Well, this has been so much fun. I'd, so I just want to remind people that they can look for you on Central Park, which is available at Apple Plus. Mm-hmm. And you can be seen there with your buddies, Leslie Odom Jr. and Josh Gad. Three pretty yeah. good actors there. That's right. We all going to keep our fingers crossed out in L.A. that that production of Hamilton starts up again and we get to see you as King George out there. And I think I think there's I think we're going to see that. So we're all going to keep so our too. fingers crossed for that one. And in the meantime, everybody can hear Rory on his wonderful podcast, Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. And you, you definitely want to tune into that. Some some great guests on that, by the way. I yeah. love the one with the gal from Saturday Night Live who played Pat. She was great. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. No, I mean, we've, we have so many wonderful people, you know, we've gotten to talk to. Um, I feel very lucky. Yeah, it's a really nice podcast. Wonderful, buddy. So thank you so much for taking the time. It's great talking to you. And I'm... I, I'm sure Marnie will be very happy to see this podcast. And she sure um, will. Uh, it's, it's great to see you. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Good to see you, too. You got it, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Rory O'Malley, ladies and gentlemen. What a great kid. If you want to delve deeper into the history of Manhattan, the incredible history of Manhattan from 1609 to 1909, then you must join us for our primary podcast, Island, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast directories. Climb aboard. History is cool. Folks, we thank you so much for joining us, and we remind you to listen to the voices. They are the indelible echoes of the indomitable spirit of this incredible island. We'll see you next time.